Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Idiot Book Nook Book Club podcast. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them, today. I don't know. Gender's a thing. Yes, it is. A confusing thing. But it's a, a thing. confusing thing, so we'll just go with they, them until otherwise. Cool. Yeah. And I'm pretty shy, my pronouns and prope. <laughs> yeah, I exist today. Words. Existing's Negative. nice. Negative. I am a meat popsicle. Cool. Existing is nice. If you'd like it to follow be. us on, if you'd like to follow us on our social medias, you can do so at. Um, L-A-N-K-T-R-dot-E-E slash Idiot Book Nook. We are going into chapter 39 today, and we are continuing on with Bartimaeus, so that will be a thing. Unfortunately, Critter is going to have to run here shortly, so may not be around for the rest of this episode, and may be joining us again two episodes down the line. So we will see how that goes this morning. But if you happen to make it to the discussion portion of this episode... As always, you know, we look forward to having you join us. So, uh, narrator, if you would, please take it away. Uh, just a second here. I need to finish uh, posting this real quick. Cool. So, as always, uh, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, it is currently summer, which means you're probably going to hear a bunch of AC units running in the background. Or at least on my end, you may hear an AC unit. Uh, I don't know. It's running almost constantly here because I can't deal with the heat. Same on my end. Yeah, it's it's a thing. Summer, um, Canada's on fire. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. <sighs> How is everybody doing today? I did a run this morning. You did a run? I did a run. Nice. Why on earth would you do that to yourself? Because I'm trying to get healthy. Gross. I know. Because I'm turning 30 soon. Oh, you poor sweet summer child. Well, then I've gained the COVID winter weight. Mm. And I'm trying to lose some of the belly weight because, unfortunately, I don't fit into my Thornwick corset as well as I used to. Mm. So until I lose some of the belly weight, I can't fit into Thornwick's corset. And I don't feel like Thornwick if I don't wear it. Fair. That's fair. How about you, Critter? How you been? Well, I got sick mm-hmm. again. That's been great. And oh. then yesterday, I sliced my finger in multiple spots because I'm an idiot and reached into the cupboard without looking when I was trying to make some cheese biscuits. And I grabbed the, the shredder wheel and it shredded me. Oh. Ouch. That's the mean thing for a wheel to do. Yeah. Okay. Now it's like ready. really deep, like right, like at the tip, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then like at another spot, like halfway down, because you know. So Sorry yeah. About. Sorry about that. I had to get our uh, tweet out. Narrator. Chapter thirty nine. Yep. The Bartimaeus trilogy. Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, 
voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blaze Wayne 2010, Lady Punnett, and Crittershy. Chapter 39 Bartimaeus I hoped the boy could keep out of trouble long enough for me to reach him. Heh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Getting in was taking longer than I thought. Up and down the wall the lizard scuttled. Round cornices, over arches, across pilasters. Its progress was ever more speedy and erratic. Each window we came to, and there were plenty of them in the mansion, was firmly shut, causing it to flick its tongue in frustration. <sighs> Hadn't Lovelace and company ever heard of the benefits of fresh air? Stuffy assholes. Many minutes went by. Still no luck. Truth was, I was loath to break in. Except as a last resort. It was impossible to tell whether the rooms beyond had watchers who might respond to the slightest un untoward noise. If I could only find a crack, a cranny to sneak through. But the place was too well sealed. There was nothing forward. I would have to try a chimney. Attention caught by... Oh, wait, hold on. With this in mind, I headed forward, only to have my attention caught by a very tall and ornate set of windows a little way off on a projecting wing of the house. They suggested a sizable room beyond. Not only that, but a powerful network of magical bars crisscrossed the windows on the seventh plane. None of the hall's other windows had such defenses. My curiosity was piqued. The lizard sped across to take a look, scales scuffling on the stones. It gripped a column and poked its head toward the window, being careful to keep well back from the glowing bars. What it saw inside was interesting, all right. The windows looked into a vast circular hall, or auditorium, brightly lit by a dozen chandeliers suspended from the ceiling. At the center was a small raised podium draped with red cloth, around which a hundred chairs had been arranged in a neat semicircle. A speaker's stand stood on the podium, complete with glass and jug of water. Evidently, this was the venue for the conference. Hmm. Everything about the auditorium's decor, from the crystal chandeliers to the rich gold trimmings on the walls, was designed to appeal to the magician's vulgar sense of wealth and status, which seemed to be entirely made of glass. You missed an <laughs> entire about... sentence. <laughs> Talk about the glass cannon. From wall to wall, it glinted and gleamed, refracting the light of the chandeliers in a dozen unusual tints and shades. If this wasn't unusual enough, beneath the glass stretched an immense and very beautiful carpet. It was Persian-made, 
displaying amid a wealth of dragons, chimeras, manticores, and birds, a fantastically detailed hunting scene. A life-size prince and his court rode into a forest surrounded by dogs, leopards, kestrels, and other trained beasts. Ahead of them, among the bushes, a host of fleet-footed deer skipped away. Horns blew, pennants waved. It was an idealized eastern fairy tale court. It was an idealized eastern fairy tale court, and I would have been quite impressed had I not glanced at a couple of the faces of the courtiers. The rather, that rather spoiled the effect. One of them sported Lovelace's horrid mug. Another looked like Sholto Pen. Hmm. Elsewhere, I spied my erstwhile captor, Jessica Whitwell, riding a white mare. Hmm? Trust Lovelace to spoil a perfectly good work of art with such an ingratiating fancy. No doubt the prince was Devereux, the prime minister, and every important magician was pictured among his fawning throng. Footnote number one. How the weavers of Basra must have loathed being commissioned to create such a monstrosity. Gone are the days when, with complex and cruel incantations, they wove gin into the fabrics of their carpet, carpets creating artifacts that carry their masters across the Middle East and were staying resistant at the same time. Hundreds of us were trapped this way. But now, with the magical power of Baghdad, of Baghdad, long broken and such craftsmen escaped destitution only by weaving tourists tat for riches foreign clients that sentence does not make sense such craftsmen escape destitution only by weaving tourist tat for rich foreign clients okay so that is what i read such is progress um, where was i there we go this curious yes thank you this curious floor was not the only odd thing about the circular hall at hmm, all the other windows that looked into on all the other windows that looked onto it had shimmering defenses similar to the one through which i spied reasonable enough soon most of the government would be inside the room had to be safe from attack but Hidden in the stonework of my window frame were things that looked like embedded metal rods, and their purpose was not all clear. Huh. I was just pondering this when a door at the far end of the auditorium opened, and a magician walked swiftly in. It was the oily man I had been... It was the oily man I had seen passing in the car. Lime, the boy had called him. One of Lovelace's confederates. He carried an object in his hand, shrouded under a, shrouded under a cloth. With hasty steps and eyes flicking nervously back and forth, he crossed to the podium, 
mounted it, and approached the speaker's stand. There was a shelf inside the stand, hidden from the floor below, and the man placed the object inside it. Before he did so, he removed the cloth, and a shiver ran down my scales. <sighs> it was the summoning horn I'd seen in Lovelace's study on the night I stole the amulet of Samarkand. The ivory was yellow with age, and had been reinforced with slender metal bands, but the blackened fingertips on its side were still quite visible. The only remains of the first person to blow the horn, it being an essential requirement of such items that first that their first users must surrender himself to the mercy of the entity he summoned. With this notable design flaw, summoning horns are pretty rare, as you'd imagine. <sighs> oh dear, a summoning horn. I began to see daylight. The magical bars at the windows, the metal ones embedded in the stonework, ready to spring shut. The auditorium's defenses weren't to keep anything out, no, 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 no. They were meant to keep everyone in. Oh, oh it was definitely time I got inside. With scant regard for any overflying sentries, I scampered up the wall and over the red-tiled roof of the mansion to the nearest chimney. I darted to the rim of the spot and was about to duck inside when I drew back, all of a quiver. A net of sparkling threads was suspended below me across the hole, blocked. I ran to the next. Same again. In considerable agitation, I crossed and recrossed the roof of Heddleham Hall, checking every chimney. Each one was sealed. More than one magician had gone to great lengths to protect the place from spies. <laughs> I halted at last, wondering what to do. All this time, at the front of the house below, a steady stream of chauffeured cars had shown up disgorged their occupants, and headed off to a parking lot at the side. Most of the guests were here now, and the conference was about to begin. In a perfect example of most magicians' dreary style, each and every vehicle was big, black, and shiny. Even the smallest looked as if it wanted to be a hearse when it grew up. Size matters in this case. Mm -hmm. I looked across the lawns. A few late arrivals were speeding toward the house. And they weren't the only ones. In the middle of the lawn was a lake adorned with an, orn with an ornamental fountain depicting an, an amorous Greek god trying to kiss a dolphin. Beyond the lake, the drive, the drive curled into the trees toward the entrance gateway, and along it three figures came striding. Two going fast, the third faster. For a man who had recently been knocked out by a field mouse, Mr. Squalls was racing the lawn at a fair pace. Sun was doing even better. <laughs> Presumably his lack of clothes encouraged him on his way. At this distance, he looked like one big goosebump. 
<laughs> but neither of them matched the pace of the bearded mercenary, whose cloak swirled out behind him as he strode off the drive onto the lawn. Footnote four. <sighs> Footnote, foot number, number four. Yes. Inadvisable. Uh, alas, uh, this might spell trouble. God damn it. I perched on the lip of the chimney spot. On the. Words. Words are hard. Yep. I perched on the lip of the chimney pot, cursing my restraint with squalls and sun, and debating whether I could ignore the distant trio. But another look decided me. A bearded man was coming along faster than ever. The bearded man was coming along faster than ever. Huh. Strange. His paces seemed ordinary ones, but they ate up the ground at blinding speed. He had almost halved the distance to the lake already. In another minute, he would be at the house ready to raise the alarm. Oh, no. I thought... I thought my blows would keep them unconscious for at least a couple of days but I fluffed it that's what comes of hurrying a job mm. fluffed yes. fluffed's a fun word in my house fluffed meant something different yeah I think I think that I know the word you're referring to bearing in mind this is a young adult Novel. I know. So they can't use those words in young adult novels. I've known what that term meant oh, no. otherwise since I was a young adult, though. We used it to replace the word fart. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of the other thing. Yeah, the I know adult you were. action. Anyways, moving on. Anywho. Getting into the house would have to wait. There wasn't time to be discreet. I became a blackbird and flew purposefully from the mansion roof. The man in black strode nearer. I noted a flicker in the air about his legs. An odd discrepancy, as if their movement was not properly contained within any of the planes. Then I understood. Huh. He wore seven-league boots. <laughs> After a few more paces, his trajectory would be too swift to follow. He might travel a mile with each step. So I speeded up my flight. Footnote number six. Potential magical device invented in medieval Europe. At the wearer's command, the boots can cover considerable distance in the smallest of strides. Normal earth rules of time and space do not apply. Allegedly, each boot contains a djinn capable of traveling on a hypothetical eighth plane. Not that I would know anything about that. It was now easier to understand how the mercenary had managed to evade capture when he first stole the amulet for Lovelace. So, oh my god, there's a possible eighth plane. Hold on. I'm more thinking of that there's actually boots of haste in this, in this, and it's canon. They bend space and time. Yep. Well, yeah, because you're moving faster, and depending on how fast you're moving, your perspective of time and space is altered. Yeah. Continuing on. Yep. In, okay, just a second. The lakeside. The lakeside was a pretty spot, if you didn't count the statue of the disreputable old god and the dolphin. A young gardener was weeding the margins of the shore. A few innocent ducks floated dreamily on the surface of the water. 
Bulrushes waved in the breeze. Someone had planted a small bower of honeysuckle by the lake. Oh, its leaves shone a pleasant, peaceful green in the afternoon sun. Oh, so nice, so picturesque. But anyway, that was just for the record. <laughs> My first detonation missed the mercenary. It's being difficult to judge the speed of someone wearing seven-league boots. Cheater. But hit the bower, which vaporized instantly. I'm sorry. The gardener yelped and jumped into the lake, carrying the ducks off on a small tidal wave. The bulrushes caught fire. The mercenary looked up. He hadn't noticed me before, probably being intent on keeping his boots under control. So it wasn't strictly sporting. But hey, I was late for a conference. My second detonation caught him directly in the chest. He disappeared in a mass of emerald flames. <laughs> Why can't all problems be as easy to resolve? Because we can't stab our problems. I can stab him. No, I just had I just had him burst into green flames. Bartimaeus, get back to the story. Yes, mother. I did a quick circuit, eyeing the horizon. But there were no watchers and nothing dangerous in sight. Unless you could count the underwear of Squall's son as he and his dad turned tail and raced for the park gateway. <laughs> Fine. <sighs> I was just about to head off back to the house when the smoke from my detonation cleared away, revealing the mercenary sitting in a muddy depression three feet deep. Mucky blinking, but very much alive. Huh. That was something I hadn't counted on. I screeched to a halt in midair, turned, and delivered another, more concentrated blast. It was the kind that would have made even Jabor's need knees tremble a bit. Certainly, it should have turned most humans into a wisp of smoke blowing in the wind. But not Beardy. As the flames died down again, he was just getting to his feet. As casual as you'd like. He looked as if he'd been having a catnap. Admittedly, much of his cloak had burned away, but the body underneath was still hale and hearty. <sighs> I didn't try bothering again. I can take a hint. The man reached inside his cloak and from a hidden pocket withdrew a silver disc. With unexpected speed, he reached back and threw. Oh, it missed my beak by a feather's breast and returned spinning in his hand in a lazy arc. Ha! Huh. That did it. I'd gone through a lot in the past few days. Everyone I met seemed to want a piece of me. Jinn, magicians, humans, it made no difference. I'd been summoned, manhandled, shot at, captured, constricted, bossed about, and generally taken for granted. And now... To you okay? My cat's just exited out of the book. 
Do you need me to take Can, a moment? No, it's fine. Continue. I just got to get back to it. 359. Okay. Well, and um, on I... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you guys just, have just, to just, just continue. And now, to cap it all, this bloke was joining into when all I'd been doing was quietly trying to kill him. The nerve. The nerve. I lost my temper. The angriest blackbird you've ever seen made a dive for the statue in the middle of the lake. It landed at the base of the dolphin's tail, stretched its wings around the stone, and as it heaved, took a gargoyle's form once more. Dolphin and God were ripped from their foundations. With a brutal crackling and the rasp of a ripping head, the statue came away. A jet of water spurted from the ruptured pipes inside. The gargoyle raised the statue above its head, gave it a bound, and landed on the lakeside bank. Not far from the mercenary was not far from where the mercenary was standing. Footnote number seven. They were interwined. Never mind how. Who am I? He didn't seem as phased as I'd have liked. He threw the disc again. It bit into my arm, poisoning me with silver. Ignoring the pain, I tossed the statue like a highland caver. Or is it pronounced caver? Caver. I have no idea. I'm not familiar with that word. Like a highland caver, it did a couple of stylish flips and landed on the mercenary with a soft thump. He looked winded, I'll give him that. But even so, he wasn't anything like the flatness I required. I could see him struggling under the prone god, trying to get a grip so he could shove it away. This was getting tedious. Well, if I couldn't stop him, I could certainly slow him down. While he was still floundering around, I jumped over, unlaced his seven-league boots, and plucked them off of his feet. Then, I threw them as hard as I could in the middle of the lake, where the ducks were busily regrouping. The boots splashed down in their midst and instantly sank out of sight. You'll yep. pay for that. Oh, go ahead. You got it. Go for it. You'll pay for that, the man said. He was still struggling with the statue, moving it slowly off of his chest. You don't know when to give up, do you? I said, scratching the horn irritably. I was wondering what more to do, when I felt my insides being sucked out through my back. My essence squirmed and writhed. I gasped. The mercenary looked on as if my form... The mercenary looked on as my form grew vaporous and weak. He gave a heave and shoved the statue off, 
Through my pain, I saw him getting to his feet. Stop, coward. He cried. You must stand and fight. I shook a dissolving claw at him. <laughs> Consider yourself lucky, I groaned. I'm letting you off. I had you on the ropes, and don't you for- Then I was gone, and my rebuke with me. Thus ends chapter 39 of the Amulet of Samarkand, and the only thing I have to say about that chapter is, wearing the boots and the like, what a fucking waste. Right? Dude, do you, do you have any idea what I would give to own something like that? Like, shit. What if he was, like, putting them in the lake for later, though? Because when you're throwing them in the lake, you are effectively deterring the original wearer from continuing what their mission is without having to take a detour. It might not be a lake, though. It might just be a pond. Probably. So it might not be that deep. Maybe. That being said, it still causes a delay in timing for the original wearer's original mission or what have you. That being said, mm -hmm. if Bartimaeus says, like, I'm inclined to believe Lake, because one of the things that we have established, and we've talked about this time and time again, is that Bartimaeus doesn't actually lie. He, no. he tells the truth, he will twist it, but he doesn't outright lie about things. He may exaggerate the truth a little bit. Fair. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But yeah, yeah. just those boots. What a fucking waste. Boots that of Haste, Haste. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, boots boots of Haste are now canon in the Bartimaeus trilogy. Yep. That being said, though, when it comes to exaggerating the truth... Uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, but when it comes to exaggerating the truth... It, I've noticed more often than not, he exaggerates the truth when he's boasting about himself or talking about himself and speaking through experiences from his perspective when he's directly involved with something. Or when it serves to benefit him. Basically. He knows how to twist words, mm -hmm. but he doesn't outright lie. No. He's honest. Yep. At least. Yep. And he does seem to genuinely care about those around him. Like, he took care not to outright kill Squalls and Son. You know what that tells me? Hmm. Bartimaeus has a conscience. Yeah. He may actually... Like, because we know for a fact that, like... Wait, do we know for a fact that he was... Yeah, no, he was once mortal, wasn't he? He stated he... It was implied, I think. I don't think it's yeah. been outright stated, but it was implied. It, it right. may have been implied, or that may have been something that we read into it. At this point, the stuff that we've talked about and this book itself and some of the theories that we've come up with are kind of blending together for me. Because we mm. are near the end of the book, right? Yeah. But again, this is part of delving into a world that somebody's built and exploring that in greater detail is kind of building all these scenarios and reading mm -hmm. that into the world around you. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if we are correct into theorizing that Bartimaeus was once a mortal being, mm -hmm. that would imply that he kept his humanoid, his human morals. Yeah whatever morals he would have had as a, a mortal human um 
because oftentimes it is said that demons or jinn don't really have a good base of like morals or if they do they are oftentimes exceptionally twisted i don't think that the morals and ethics are like i don't think they disappear if somebody moves from mortal to immortal i think that once you move to the immortal uh, existence you get you gain an understanding of re the reality around you the universe around you and the way that things work more than mortals probably could which might flavor the way that you see things and the way that you react to things but those morals and ethics at their very base are still there they're just tweaked a little bit in order to help you a survive and be um interact properly with the world around you i think it's less with that I, okay, so first of all, I don't know for sure if Bartimaeus was once a human. Um, but I am kind of of the belief that if you do become immortal, vampiric, jinn, demon, whatever, that over time, I think you do start to lose that humanity and that sense of compassion. Mm -hmm. So I think... So I think he does still have a conscience, but I think it's more in line with the whole, like... These people aren't directly involved, so there's no need to kill them. That is also fair. Especially when you bring up the point that once an entity becomes immortal, yes, it is very understandable that they will lose a lot of some, what we consider very important things like empathy, sympathy, what have you, when it comes to the longer you live, the more you are exposed to, which results into becoming more desensitized to a lot of things. For example, a common trope for immortals is their uh, lack of expression. Uh, express. Okay. What's going on? Finish your thought. Uh, one one common example that you see as a trope, effectively, mm -hmm. when it comes to anything involving immortals in media, especially, is the older an immortal is, the less expressioned they are when it comes to expressing the motion, the emotions of grief when someone dies, mm -hmm. when a mortal dies, because the longer you live as an immortal, the more often you see death around you. And depending on how old you are and when you, and when in history you became immortal, there is a very likely chance you've already seen all of your friends and family die and loved ones die. And then you try to like, kind of keep that by creating new connections, having new family and whatnot, depending on what you're capable of doing emotionally and physically and mentally. But eventually, that starts becoming meaningless. Yeah. Because depending on what kind of immortal you are, it could either matter a great deal or it could lose all meaning as time goes on. Speaking so of... more, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, speaking of mortals and, mortal and immortals, I don't think the person he was attacking was a human. Yeah, we don't know how they survived that detonation spell. I am I am looking here, and just a tiny bit of background information, not enough for spoilers, but background information. I do mm -hmm. not believe that Bartimaeus was actually human at one point. He may have tried mm -hmm. to hint at it, or maybe lead that assumption. But here's what I've got. 
Bartimaeus's name was first uncovered in ancient Sumer, uh, circa 3000 BC, and served various and powerful masters over the following 3000 years. He is known to have served the empire of Prague, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the British, the Native Americans, and the people of Asian of the Asian steppes. He, however, has seen more empires, saying it's 2,129 years since Ptolemy died. He was 14. Eight world empires have risen up and fallen since that day, and I still carry his face. Ooh. So he might have actually been... Because... Ptolemy was is Ptolemy, the boy's face that he keeps taking. Correct. It's the boy. It's the boy's face who he favors. That that, that Egyptian boy that he keeps shifting into the form of. That's Ptolemy. Yeah. He carries okay. he carries that face with him all throughout the eons, which means Ptolemy represented something for him, gave him something, and uh, basically, there's something there that cannot be replaced. Okay, I have a theory. I don't know if this is theory is right, but this is just me needing some, like, fluff and crack theory. Uh-huh. Ptolemy is the boy that accidentally summoned Bartimaeus when he was making a sandwich or something. And Bartimaeus was stuck in a contract with him. But he treated Bartimaeus like an equal and did not know how to, like, expel Bartimaeus. Aww. Uh, could be. I mean, to be, f- to be fair... How many of us have actually accidentally summoned demons while making a sandwich? Well, it no, was just um, just me. So, so on Tumblr there was this whole post about a demon or a devil getting summoned by this little old granny. Yeah, who, yeah. Who was crocheting oh. a, a thing for her gothic son because she found a pattern. Yeah, and she thought that it was Tom. She thought that it was her her grandson Tom finally yeah. paying a visit. And there was this whole thing about talking about all the seasons and how he runs for mayor and he gives her a little hellhound doggy and you find out at the end when she goes through the pearly white gates and and she says, I'm not going through those unless my son Tom here can come visit me. And they're like, he's a devil. He's not actually your grandson. And she basically says, like, hell, he isn't. <laughs> and it's just I want that series. I want Yay. a cute series about a devil being forced to wear knitted sweaters from a grandma, and actually kind of liking it because yeah. it's like yeah. you're just a sweet old lady. You didn't mean to do this, but I'm here now, so I'm gonna like stick with it. God damn it! <laughs> but yeah, I picture mm. it was something like that. Or alternatively, Tommy was like the first one to treat him like an equal. Like mm-hmm. I know I summoned you. I know you probably don't want to be here, but I could really use your help. Please and thank you. Yeah. My door told me fits into that lineup. Oof. Excuse me. Oof. Cool. Yeah. So that's my theory with Tommy. But yeah, I don't think the person that Bartimaeus was attacking was human unless he was wearing like some detonation resistant cloak. I'm kind of wondering if the bearded man, uh, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but I am wondering if he is the same type of alternative human that the girl and her posse are. I don't know. You think they're part of Resistance? Yeah. Like, the those kids from the Resistance, that girl especially, uh-huh. they seemed to not be like... Bartimaeus mentioned that they did not seem to be fully human. Uh-huh. So for Nephilim. this guy, 
Oh my god. Oh my fuck. They are the children of demons and angels. Ah, fuck. Depending on what lore you follow. Right. No, but, like, this kind of makes me think that maybe uh, they're of the same bloodline, at least? Or, like, of the same kind of variant of human. Hmm. Except one is working for Lovelace, the others are part of the Resistance. Unless all of them are part of the Resistance and this dude is actually a mole. Interesting. Because, especially, if you think about it, normally someone, uh, like an actual magician, would have been a little bit more careful about making sure those shoes were not easily taken off his feet. Mm-hmm. Whereas this dude, he was also kind of like reckless with his coat, which I'm fairly certain was magic. He also had a flying disc. Mm-hmm. That he just kind of threw willy-nilly. Oh. I wonder if that was the disc that had... No, no, correction. It was a... He had, like, a brass mirror. It wasn't yeah. silvered. You no. guys... I was thinking, what if it was, like, a Nathaniel's disc? Yeah. Strying disc. You guys know that, uh, girl we keep talking about? Yep. Kitty? Guess who's introduced as an important character in the next book? <gasps> no. What? Really? Yeah. So, okay. I have, like, when this series first came out, when I was in elementary school and I first, like, found this, I had only been able, I was only able to read the first book at the time. I was not able to read the other books, partially because uh, at the time I had only found the first one and the third one. Mm-hmm. Now I have first and second, but I'm missing the third. So, I'm going to try to get myself a copy of the third, um, and the prequel. Mm -hmm. Unless someone wants to gift that to me. I still really want us to read the Kane Chronicles. I want you guys to understand what I'm going through with my... We will eventually get there. We have have a massive line of books to get there. I know! There's a whole wheel! (laughs) We have, like, several... And by several, I mean... Many, 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 many books on that wheel. I think we can't add any more books, because at this rate, we'll never get to any of the books I picked. That is fair. Hey, the books are picked randomly. You know, we we list the titles, but they're picked randomly. I know, but the wheel doesn't like me. We've had two books at this point. Three. We started off, so we we chose the first book. The wheel doesn't like me. We've only had to use the wheel twice. It doesn't like me. Ah. It, it, you cannot you cannot make two instances the norm. Come on. Especially since we the times that we actually have used the wheel are far and few in between. Yeah. That so. being said, the wheel doesn't like me. Lady Punnett. <sighs> is there anything else the Is there anything else we want to discuss about this chapter? Um, so we've established that most likely the person isn't human or using a bunch of magical items. Mm -hmm. However, it is now stated that, and I thought that magicians just would like imbued it with magic. It is sounding more and more like you need to have a djinn in order for magic to occur. Yeah. So like every magical item ever created has a djinn embedded inside. Every magical item has a djinn. However, 
magicians themselves have an innate magical power or magical ability or magical aptitude. Mm-hmm. They have, this, they have, they, mm-hmm. It's done through studying and I want to say maybe something to do with uh, genetics. Well, because there was... No, you actually found that on your own. Never mind. I think. Well, I'm just thinking, because here's the thing, we never hear like, oh, this person made this item. No, it's always, oh, this person had a gin embedded into it. So that makes me think this might be like a warlock situation. A little bit. A little bit. We'll like talk war- about that when we get to the end of this book. Like a warlock mixed with wizarding thing. I, I acknowledge that currently, for those of you who can't see the podcast, Blazewing is currently looking at uh, Reading Dragon's camera. And now she is looking at the ca- her own camera as if she was on the office. Oh, no, actually, I'm looking at background information. Oh, because from mm. my point of view, it looked like you were just staring at I, no, uh, I'm, reading Dragon's I'm Dragon. staring at uh, web browser. Um, so currently, what we've determined is that it looks like in this world, it's a mixture of like a warlock wizard type situation mm-hmm. where magicians gain their knowledge and, their, and enhance their innate magic. Mm-hmm through the act of studying however they get like the more higher power things through pacts or contracts mm-hmm. that they make with demons and yeah. jinn and their ability to handle such powers depends on how well they take care of themselves physically yes so it is basically its own class of i would almost say it's kind of like a summoner class then kind of like from final fantasy uh 10 you know what? Or, Una- you know, or even full metal alchemist you know what i'll take that I like yeah. that comparison. I really like that comparison. The mm-hmm. Final Fantasy thing? Yes, the sum- the summoning class. Mm. I wish... I want to make a summoning class. D- right? I want to be a card capture Sakura D&D type character. Do you know how long I waited for my own Kiroberos to appear so I could go and start collecting cards? I had a little section of my drawer saved for him with a little bed made for him. And I was... I was practicing baton twirling and cartwheels and stuff so I could be like Sakura, but no, I had to grow up being a mundane, boring human woman. <laughs> so Jay has redeemed a posture check. Oh, thank nah. you, Jay. Uh, no, I'm sulking right now. I can't do a posture check. Get your posture on, lady. With that being said, I think we have diverged from our topic of discussion, so I think this might actually be a good place to cut this episode off. Oh, one more thing. Or Bartimaeus not. is a druid. Potentially. Yeah. Bartimaeus is a druid because he has wild shape. Yep. And technically, you, depending on what level of druid you are, you could do wild shape as a cantrip, possibly. Fair. Well... With that, I think this is a good place to cut this episode off. So um, mm-hmm. we want to thank you for joining us for Chapter 39 and Episode 54 of The Idiot Book Nook. Oh, and uh, for those uh, that were not watching the stream earlier or for those who were listening earlier, uh, or at least listening earlier, uh, Critter will be back uh, later during the stream. Otherwise, in the next episode, she had to go do a thing. So she had to bounce out in the middle there. For those of you on Twitch, just stick around while we close off this episode. Um, if you want to join us on social, if you want to check out our social media, you can do so at lanktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can 
find our socials, you can find links to our podcast feeds, to our YouTube, to the Twitch, which happens on 9 a.m. Uh, at 9 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Um, and you can also find our anchor feed where you can leave us voicemail messages. Uh, if you want to do that, you are more than welcome to. With that being said, though, I guess at this point for the Idiot Book Nook, episode 54, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we will And Critter Shy's not here right now, but but she would say bye too. Yes, yeah, she, she would, would say goodbye. She would say bye as well. So, With her birdie greet me. Mm-hmm. Yep. We will see you for episode 55. Yay. Goodbye. Bye.